0: And welcome to another edition of our Memory Lane podcast here on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. And very pleased to be joined today by a legend with the Steelers, not on the field, but off the field. Joe Gordon was the longtime public relations director for the Steelers, saw great players, great Uh, memories, Super Bowls, coaches. Joe, really appreciate you taking some time to join us. How are you today, sir?
1: I'm good, thank you, Corey. It's great to be with you, and thank you for having me.
0: Uh, I'm looking forward to these stories, as I'm sure Steelers fans are. But I want to say, we're recording this on... Friday, July 1st. Yesterday was a very special day for Joe Gordon. You were in Canton to be honored by the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Joe, can you share the story of what what uh, you were able to, to receive with your honor from the Hall of Fame?
1: New category uh, in the Hall of Fame in which they were recognizing PR directors, trainers, equipment managers, and assistant coaches, and there were five people in each category, and I was one of the five in the PR section.
0: What was it like for you? What uh, What was the day like? Um, and uh, what What was it like to receive the honor? And and just explain how how much that meant to you.
1: I was not aware of uh, this uh, special category until they called me on March 22nd to inform me, and it was a long time uh, PR man, Bill Keenest from the Detroit Lions, who made the call. And when he told me about it, I said, Bill, what are you talking about? I never heard of this. (laughs) So then he in turn explained to me what it was, what I just told you a few seconds earlier. And I said, wow, that is fantastic. I'm just overwhelmed and very, very honored. So uh, the recognition was uh, Wednesday night with a cocktail party at – the uh, football stadium that's adjacent to the hall of fame which they have enlarged and it's really a fantastic facility. In fact, uh <clears throat> they're having the USFL championship game there on uh, Sunday. But anyhow um we had a cocktail party on uh, Wednesday night and that's yesterday a luncheon at noon which was uh MC'd by Dan Fouts, the uh great uh quarterback from the san diego chargers so it was really a special occasion and uh there were i'd say about 300 people there uh, it was very hard it was sold out uh and uh, i had i think about 25 people from family and friends so uh it was just sensational. I, I cannot uh, describe it in its entirety because it was that great.
0: That is fantastic. Congratulations to you, sir. That's that's just wonderful. Tell the folks what your job was, what your role was with the Steelers, and for how long? Because you were, you were with the Black and Gold for a long, long time.
1: 29 years from 1969 to 1998. And primarily, uh, when I came in, it was, uh, media relations, but then it expanded into, uh, public relations, fan relations, customer relations, and marketing. So, uh, I got a chance to do a lot of different things, and, uh, it was totally enjoyable, uh, it was a dream of a lifetime to work, uh, for the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Rooney family who are really, really something special. And uh, they were just the greatest people to work for. They let you did, do your job. They had enough confidence in your judgment that you would make the right decisions. So it was fantastic. And then, of course, working with Chuck Knoll for the 23 years he was there. Uh, Chuck Knoll came in 1969 and that was the year I started It was also the uh, year that uh, the Steelers drafted Joe Green. And you
0: are a Pittsburgh-area native. I want to mention this first before we get into Mm -hmm. your memories. You grew up uh, around Pittsburgh. Uh,
1: I've lived in the city my entire life, uh, with the exception of the six months that I was in the the '68. But uh, I've lived in uh, the Oakland section, the Squirrel Hill section, and now I've been on Mount Washington for about 50 years. And
0: for a, a local product to get hired by the Steelers, and again, folks, do the math, do the timeline, 1969, the Steelers were not good, then they became great, and Joe was there for all of it, but for a local guy to be hired by, were you a big Steelers fan at that I'm point? I'm a in-
1: huge Steelers fan. My brother and I, who was a year younger than I, uh We would go to the Steeler games at Forbes Field when we were only about 12 or 14 because we lived in Squirrel Hill. It was a short walk from Squirrel Hill to Forbes Field. So, yes, I was a big fan and uh, obviously very frustrated. And then that first season with uh, Chuck in 1969, we won our opening game against the Detroit Lions then lost the next 13 in the 70 season. So we had a 16-game losing streak before we turned it around.
0: All right, so what kind of interest was there, Joe? Because Joe is media relations, public relations, it's his job to to sell the team, to, to make sure there's the publicity and the notoriety. How much interest was there, or quite frankly, was there not in the no, Pittsburgh there was considerable Steelers?
1: considerable interest considering how bad the team had been, never having uh-huh. any winning seasons and uh, losing many more games than they won. But part of the reason for the popularity that did exist, the popularity of uh, football in Western Pennsylvania, particularly at the high school level. So there was a carryover to that. And like I said, for the fact that the team was not very successful, there was a lot of interest and a lot of support.
0: But once they started becoming successful, getting the draft picks, the immaculate reception, the Super Bowls, can you describe... How how things might have changed with regards to the way not just Pittsburgh but the whole country saw the Pittsburgh Steelers in the nineteen early nineteen
1: seventies. Yes, well uh, the seventy two season, which was Franco Harris's rookie year, uh, we turned it around and went from winning six games and losing eight in nineteen seventy one to eleven and three. In 72 and making the playoffs for the first time ever. Then following that of course was the Immaculate Reception, which was the first playoff win in in Steeler history.
0: So, what was it like then? As as more pe- the Steelers caught the attention of the nation, from your perspective, you're there and, and you're dealing with media folks. You're dealing with public relations. How much? How much did your job get a lot more difficult because you had a lot more requests and things at
1: that point? You know, we became busier, but it became much more fun. And uh, the fact that there was now national attention. Rather than just local and regional made it even more enjoyable and uh like I said, turning around in uh 72, 11, and three and the the community the uh pittsburgh market, western Pennsylvania uh eastern Ohio, people went crazy i mean it was just like uh hard to believe the enthusiasm if you got the dinner uh at a, a local restaurant, no matter, the talk was always about the Steelers. And then of course, winning this, the Super Bowl in 74 made it even more, uh, exciting and more unbelievable. And, uh, it just carried on. And then of course, the popularity of the Steelers nationally is still exceptional. I think if you watch the games on TV, the announcers always say, how well Steeler fans travel. There's always a large contingent of Steeler fans away games, even if it's on the West Coast or Texas, wherever it is. There's Steeler support, Steeler fans.
0: When you look back on it, Joe, how incredible was it? You said it was amazing to see all the national attention, but just what was that like? What was it like to be reading national newspapers or magazines or TV, and now they're they're spending all this time talking about the Steelers, which really had not been the case up until that point.
1: No, it was uh, just, uh, at the beginning, it was unexpected. Although Chuck Knoll, even though he didn't win in his first three years, there was no question that he had the right roadmap by building the team through the draft, starting, with joe green in uh in 1969 and then this the next year bradshaw and mel blunt people like that later on swan and stalwart uh ham and lambert uh mike webster i mean you, you wound up with uh 10 guys in the hall of fame from those teams plus the coach you <laughs> know so uh yeah it, it was really something very special and uh uh, just an incredible uh, accomplishment uh, during that period. Now, Joe,
0: your role with the team—can you describe? Did you work closely with the players? Did you work closely with Chuck Noll? What was a day? To, what was a life? A day in the life of Joe Gordon during the '70s as a Steelers PR guy.
1: You always work with the players and uh, the head coach, and even some of the assistant coaches because the Steelers as a credit to the Rooneys and Chuck Knoll always had a very open organization. And we had a reputation for having the most open dressing room in the NFL. So that helped the media hype. And, uh, we got a lot of national attention, uh, uh, writers from all the major metropolitan areas would come in during the week and would want to interview Chuck or one of the players. And, uh, that was my responsibility to coordinate that.
0: How, what did you have any favorite stories of of experiences with the players from that era? How, how did you work very closely with Terry Bradshaw, Franco Harris, Mean Joe? Sure. What what yeah. what, what were some of those those uh, encounters like for you, Joe?
1: Well, my favorite, uh, the player I was closest to for his entire career was Joe Green. We, we really had a special relationship. And remember, he came the same year I did, so it was coincidental. But uh, Joe was an unbelievable leader, and if I ever had a problem or or needed something from internally with the team, I would just go to Joe and say, Joe, we got to do something about this or something about that. And he said, I'll take care of it. And that was the end of it. That's how strong of a leader he was. But my favorite player was Franco. Uh, he was an incredible uh, athlete, and of course when he came uh, in 72, that's when we started making the playoffs and had not made them before then. As Joe Green used to say, he credited Franco with a lot of our success. He said the Steelers never made the playoffs before Franco and then we made it eight straight years. But Franco was my favorite player. I uh, rooted for him uh, when he carried the ball, and uh, to this day, I'm still very close to him. In fact, I had lunch with him uh, last Tuesday.
0: Joe, could you possibly have imagined after the immaculate reception? Look, it was a great football play. It was an unbelievable ending. But 50 years later, that's the that's the biggest play in the history. A professional football right can you take us back to that day or the feeling after uh,
1: as you mentioned is the 50th anniversary of the immaculate reception will be december 23rd it happened december 23rd 1972 but when the play unfolded i was uh at my station in the press box and uh i had a direct line to where franco caught the ball but I was I was not sure whether he caught it in the air or on the bounce because uh, it was that close to the ground. And, of course, I saw the rest of the play develop. And then uh, there was some question uh, whether it was a legal play, whether uh, Frenchie Fuqua touched it, or whether it was Jack Tatum, the safety for the Raiders. Because at that time, Two offensive players could not touch the ball in succession. If they did, it would be called an incomplete pass. But if a defensive player uh, hit the ball uh, and a ricochet towards Franco, was legal. So the referee, Fred Schweinberg, he wasn't sure what the call should be. So he came over and there was a direct phone from the field to my uh, spot in the press box, and uh, the referee called up, and uh, uh, Art McNally, who was the director of NFL officiating, had run down from where he w- where he was because he knew there was a phone where I was, and uh, the referee said, "Let me talk to McNally."
0: Joe, did you answer the phone?
1: Oh, yeah, always. It well, so- the phone rang. That was my responsibility.
0: So the re- so the immaculate reception happens. Franco scores. In the aftermath, the referee is calling the press box, he, he, and you he wants answer the to phone.
1: Talk to the NFL yep. director of officiating. That's Altman great, Rally. So I was right next to me. By that time, I said, "Here, <laughs> Schweringen wants to talk to you." Oh, can you
0: share what that conversation? Yeah, it was
1: ha- very brief. Okay, uh, said to Schweringen, "What did you see?" And whatever Schweringen told him, he says, "We'll call it that's it. It was like a fifteen twenty second conversation, so swearngen went right back on the field and raised his arm to signify touchdown and that was it and to this day uh, it's very controversial. The Raiders have never conceded that it was a legal play, but uh as you mentioned earlier, it's the greatest play in the history of uh pro football, there are a lot of people who think that the Steelers went to the Super Bowl that year, but we didn't. Next week, we lost to the undefeated Miami Dolphins 21-17, to and they went, in, went on to win their second straight Super Bowl. But what
0: was it like? What did the Immaculate Reception do? And, again, you're looking at this from the PR perspective, the way the rest of the world views the Pittsburgh Steelers. What did the Immaculate Reception do for the Steelers franchise? Well, it
1: became an international story. I didn't have to do anything because it had been on live television and uh, TV stations around the country, and then some foreign station just replayed it, and it became even more popular to to the point where you mentioned earlier the greatest play in NFL history.
0: Now, you said you were close to Joe Green. Yes. Uh, one of, if not the most iconic commercials in TV history was, of course, the Coca-Cola commercial with right. the kid and, and Joe Green. Uh, can can uh, First, I, I don't— were you there? Did you help set that up? No. What was your? Did 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 you talk about it with Joe either before or after? And 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 the, the significance of that commercial?
1: No, I didn't have anything to do with the uh, uh, arrangements and the uh, details on that. That went through Joe's attorney, who was a very good friend of mine. But I wasn't aware of it until it was released. And of course, uh, it was voted the greatest sports commercial of all time they brought it back a couple years ago Mm -hmm. i don't know if you saw it Mm -hmm. or not and uh uh, joe had to drink something like 18 bottles of coke (laughs) (laughs) to get that finished did
0: did joe ever tell any stories about what that commercial and the impact of that commercial meant for him oh
1: sure It, it raised his uh profile nationally even though he was a great football player, mm-hmm. uh, this c- crossed uh, all kinds of uh, lines, uh, you know, economic and uh, uh, lines. And uh, uh, so Joe became much more popular, and it led to other opportunities for him with personal appearances and endorsements. How about
0: Terry Bradshaw, Joe? You mentioned you had good relationships with Franco and, and Mean Joe. What do, what was your relationship like with Terry? And, and as the seventies grew and he became a bigger and bigger star, and now he's still a celebrity fifty years later. What what do you make of Terry's rise?
1: As a player, he was uh, probably the best athlete I ever saw. Uh, he was phenomenal talent, uh, great great arm, as strong an arm as I've ever seen. And tough could take a hit and wouldn't hesitate to run and put his head down for the extra yard or two. He was just great and he was very good to work with. He was very cooperative. I never had a, a problem with him. If I wanted him to do an interview, he was always as receptive and available and uh we just got it done and uh then a little bit uh after he retired uh it was somewhat of a strained relationship. Uh, he he really had an inferiority complex when it came to the Steelers fans. And I don't know if you remember, we honored him on a Monday night football game. Uh, I'm not sure what year that was. And uh, we brought his two daughters in and uh, his parents. And seeing him that afternoon, he said, they're going to boo me. And I said, they're not going to boo you. They love you, and the uh, the applause that night when he was introduced on the field was just memorable. I mean, it exploded, and uh, it just proved how much the fans appreciated him as a football player and how much they loved him.
0: Is that and, so-
1: and now his post playing career has been incredible uh, with his uh, role on Fox Sports. Uh, the pre and the half game and post game shows, and also uh, his acting career and entertainment career. He still does some touring and entertains. So, uh, yeah, he's he's had a phenomenal uh, career, phenomenal life, and he's he's a good person.
0: personally kept in touch with Terry over the years? I know some some of the strain thing with Pittsburgh might still be there, but if you see him or will you reach out to him and call him or he'll call you? you are you in contact uh, with him? If I, if I need
1: something from him like an autographed jersey or an autographed helmet or football, he's always cooperative. I'll call him. say I'm sending you this, please uh, sign it and return it. And he's, Always uh, done that. Uh, uh, There was a, uh, he was on one of the talk shows in Pittsburgh, and I don't know how my name came up, but he said something to the effect that Joe Gordon hates me. Oh, no. So so I sent him a note, and I said, Dear Terry, I do not hate you. And then he, he made a retraction on radio later with that. So he's a good dude. Uh, he's a little different, but uh, I I am just so pleased with the success he's had, not only in broadcasting, but in acting and in, in his musical career.
0: Joe, what was your relationship like with Chuck Noll? You said earlier that you knew very, Chuck Noll was going good. was going to win. What What made yeah. you so confident? Why was he such a good coach?
1: Well, he was a good coach because he was so knowledgeable and a great judge of talent. When you look at the drafts, uh, Chuck and our personnel department with Art Rooney Jr. and Dick Haley, uh, they did look at a phenomenal job of the draft choices. Uh, uh how about four guys going into the Hall of Fame for one draft in 1974? Swan, Stalwart, Lambert, and Webster. That's unprecedented. It'll mm-hmm. never happen again. But part of the, Credit for that has to go to Chuck Noll, but he was a great judge of talent, and a very uh, fundamentally very strong coach, and that transferred over to the players, both on offense and defense. He was a great teacher. What was it like? What was your personal
0: relationship like? Did you did you deal with him on a day to day basis?
1: Oh, well, mostly sure. Well, I'd see him every day because mm-hmm. our offices were close to each other. But the uh, the the best thing I can say about Chuck is he was always available for interviews. And in 23 years, he only turned me down once. And that was Howard Cosell wanted to do an interview with him. And he said, I'll pass. But in 23 years...
0: <laughs> wait a minute, uh, wait a minute. Why is he turning down Howard Cosell? Did something happen?
1: Well, I don't think he... <laughs> it was... Uh, we we were playing the Oilers on a Monday night game and had a light workout in the Astrodome, and Cosell was there and he came over and he said I'd like to talk to Chuck <laughs> after practice and uh, Chuck probably really was not an admirer of uh, Cosell's because of Cosell's personality and on air personality and how bombastic he was, so that was it. But uh, I had a good relationship. <laughs> With Cosell, was I was going.
0: It? I was going to ask you that because, in your unique position, what what was Howard Cosell like? What was your relationship like with him?
1: Uh, very good. Uh, he would often call me to get an update on an injured player or something. And then one year we were closing out the season in San Diego on a Sunday night, which the last Monday night game of the year at that time would be played on Sunday night. So he was staying at the same hotel as I, because I was advancing the game. And uh, we we had lunch, uh, I think it was three times that week, and we hung out together. He he used to do his, uh, his radio shows right off the top of his head, no notes or anything. He says, come on, I'll put you on the radio. So he interviewed me on national radio. But he was a good guy, and... Uh, had a real good relationship with them. In fact another coastel story that's very interesting, in nineteen eighty two we were celebrating the fiftieth anniversary of the Steelers. Steelers were founded in nineteen thirty three, so in eighty two that would have been the fiftieth season and we were having a, a great celebration at the David L. Lyons Convention Center that had just been opened recently, about a month or two before then, but there was a football strike if you remember. And uh we we were naming the all time Steeler team and we were anxious to see if uh these players were gonna show up, uh, which they did and Cosell at that time was doing uh Major League Baseball playoff games, and he was scheduled to do a game in Atlanta. And uh, Rune Arledge, who was the head of ABC Sports, heard that Cosell wasn't going to be at the game. So he called Cosell. Cosell said, I made a promise to the Roonies. I have to keep it. So we, <coughs> we sent a private jet to Atlanta to bring him to the Pittsburgh. It was a Saturday night. The banquet was. We got him back, so he only missed one one baseball game.
0: And was Howard pretty much the same in person as he was on TV, or was there a difference really?
1: No, he was not as uh, high key in uh, person. Sometimes he would be, but uh, if you went to production meetings with him, uh, with Frank Gifford and Dan Mer- Don Meredith. And uh, that crew, he would take over the meetings. And, <laughs> and uh, uh, the other announcers would be frustrated. In fact, Gifford, uh, who I became pretty close with, he would when the meeting was over, he'd walk over. The production meeting was over. He'd walk over to me and say, uh, what's your room number? I'll give you a call. Because <laughs> <So laughs> he, he, he didn't get a, get a word in edgewise exactly, with Howard in the meeting. He would call me and... <laughs> We'd talk for about 15, 20 minutes and I'd give him the Steeler version of what was going on but uh those were just great times oh those are
0: great now Joe yeah. worked for the Steelers 29 years we we literally could go for hours on this but I want to fast forward to Bill Cower because you got to do the you know entire Chuck Knoll era he passes the baton to Bill Cower you worked with Bill for a, a number of years as well what was your relationship like with with coach Cower
1: it was good. I was not as close to Bill as I was with Chuck because the time element, but Bill was uh, very, very well organized. Uh, I was impressed with that from the very beginning. He knew what he wanted to do, and he knew how to get it done. and uh, uh, the part that always impressed me about, well, he was different from uh, Chuck from a personality standpoint, like on the field you know how uh how how bill would carry on he'd be yelling and screaming at the officials uh at one time he uh uh when he uh put uh the uh, play card in the the official's pocket at halftime walking off the field but uh bill like i said was really well organized and did a great job uh with the steelers and uh had a good personal relationship with him, but like I said, I wasn't as close, and there was a minor change uh, in the media. Bill was not as uh, we weren't as open with Bill as we had been with Chuck, but at the same time, we still had a very open dressing room, and he was always available for interviews, and uh, to say, when I ever see him, we have Good conversation.
0: Well, the last thing I want to mention is that change in the media. Joe, I'm 48. I got involved in the media in 1992. Um, after And then in college, you were involved in 1969. You saw the whole thing change from really having to get out and promote everything, then ESPN, then national broadcast and everything, 80s, 90s, and the the explosion of the NFL what what is what is your takeaway from the way the media coverage and, and the media, and the NFL's popularity changed over time?
1: Well, the, the most significant changes are obvious: uh, cable TV, which is ESPN, talk radio, uh, and then social media. Uh, none of those things existed uh, for the great maybe my entire career. Uh so it it's been much, much tougher on PR people because uh, the players and to a degree the coaches are more independent and uh you don't have the access that you had uh during, during my career. So it's changed and it would have been it would be very difficult for me to come back now and try to operate the way I did during the bulk of my twenty nine years with the Steelers and I think it's unfortunate and I think from a uh fan standpoint they don't get as much uh basic information as they did ba- back in those days. They get more personalities and you know, uh some of the players uh their priorities are different and uh uh it's it's just a different world and like I say. Uh, I couldn't possibly have functioned in today's uh, NFL as I I did back in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s.
0: Wow, Joe, those are... Tremendous, tremendous stories. I I never got to meet you, but I've heard great things about you from uh, some uh, old-time Steelers reporters. I cannot thank you enough for sharing all of those personal stories. Congratulations on the honor with the Hall of Fame and, and really just spectacular stuff hearing all of these great memories. Thank you so much for your time.
1: Thanks for calling me, Corey. Enjoyed the conversation. Stay well and enjoy the holiday. Very good. Thank you so much, sir. Yep.